day and welcome to SirCast, your home for the latest and greatest in evidence-based practice in physical therapy. I am Matt Winkle and I'm joined today by Riley Mann and by Dr. Meredith Cave. We're going to be talking this period uh, about low back pain again, but specifically we're going to dive into how to go through a lumbar exam, how to differentiate different kinds of low back pain and lower extremity pain, and then what to do with a patient after uh, you've been through that exam. So I'm going to take a little bit of a backseat this month and I'm going to let Meredith drive the car and we're going to hope we don't get into a uh, terrible car wreck. <laughs> Take it away, sister. Here's hoping. Okay, so we've already talked about some of the ins and outs on the importance of physical therapy in patients with low back pain. And we've looked at our Whaley's latest TBC and says your first step is to screen out your red flags and see if they're even appropriate for therapy. Uh, one of the things that I know that Matt uses and that I use a lot is George's OzPro red flag screening tool. Riley, do you do any other screenings or anything else to kind of hit those red flags? No, I think the OzPro is great. Yeah. What is it? What is it? How many does it catch of those red flags? Yeah. So the the general structure of the study, and you guys got to remember that it's not validated. So there's still some holes in the in the the usage of this and. And actually, uh, stay tuned because you're pretty soon one of your evidence in a minutes is going to be about this. Ooh, I don't. I might know the person wait. who's writing it. Um, but there are some still some holes with it. But it's a great place to start. Um, it's basically a study that had three or four hundred people in it, um, and they uh, looked at patients with red flags, and they took a systems review. Almost a hundred questions were the systems review, and they looked at hey which questions actually caught the majority of red flags and they found that a group of 13 was 94 percent correct and that a group of 23 was 100 percent correct for this cohort so um, it's a great place to start if you haven't read the, the article yet it's by george et al um, it's called the uh, the ospro it's a acronym for something I can't remember, something about orthopedics. But at any rate, it's a great place to start as far as standardizing your subjective questioning. Um, I think it catches everything that uh, I've had any issue with. So from there, we've got your red flag screening. You know they're appropriate for therapy. A lot of the research, especially by Julie Fritz, has shown that getting treatment, getting physical therapy for low back pain can reduce overall medical costs, can reduce surgical rates, all those bad things that we don't want. PT can help. There's also been a lot of evidence about manual therapy and different treatment-based classifications for the low back pain. We've dove into this quite a bit already with one of our episodes, but just kind of highlighting some of the ideas by Fritz and Delito, and then eventually R. R. Whaley is the four classifications, stabilization, manipulation, directional preference, and traction. And there's been some research to support various interventions within those groupings. There's also been some work by Burns, Wright, and even Hoxima, hope I'm saying that right, sorry if I'm not, about working specifically hip mobilizations and hip manual therapy and exercise only and having very good response in patients with chronic low back pain just working through the hip. But with all that information, you've got a lot to look at in the low back, you've got a lot to look at in the hip, and how do you structure an exam, make sure you get all of those findings, and then how do we take those findings and then decide what to do with our patient. So if you guys get a patient that their script says low back pain, which is about as big as it can possibly get, what is your typical exam structure like? What things are you sure to hit with every single person to help you tease out some of this information? So I think we want to start with a neural screen first, um, looking at sensation reflexes, myotomes, just making sure that there are no major neurological deficits. 
And then we can go into lumbar active range of motion, doing overpressures if indicated. We want to screen the hip, active passive range of motion, joint mobility, that's going to be towards the end of the exam. Um, and then you can always assess soft tissue as well and any special tests or functional tests that you think you may want to do. What are some uh, special tests that you guys use a lot for the lower back? Yeah. I would say definitely within active range of motion, then I usually do repeated motion and combined motions. That quadrant special test is the one I like to do. Otherwise, a lot of the slump testing, if I think it's more of a neural issue, or straight leg versus cross straight leg raise, I'm looking at disc pathology. Any other ones that you use a lot, Matt? Uh, yeah, the only other thing that I think I add in is I, I typically try to do uh, provocative testing to the hip as well, mm -hmm. so fader and faber, scour testing, things like that, just to ensure that primary hip motion isn't recreating um, any of their other uh, pain profiles. The only other thing I would add to the exam part, you know, I've always believed that the best objective of exam starts with a really good subjective exam. So if they have, I mean, you got to make sure that if they have three pain areas, if they have low hip pain, low back pain, and radicular pain, that you know that all three of those are there. Because then as you move through that really nice paradigm that Riley laid out, now you can say, okay, forward bend brings on P1 and P3, but never brings on P2. And so now I need to know, I need to move further into my exam because I still haven't found two. So I think maybe... In my mind, the most important part of the objective exam is making sure that when you go into it, you know everything that you're looking for. Because then, you know, you talked about soft tissue uh, assessment. So, you know, let's say you get through all of your normal testing and there's this ridiculous pain that you haven't been able to bring on. Well, lo and behold, it's a glute med trigger point referral. You know, you knew that you were looking for that because you had a really good subjective evaluation where you knew there was some ridiculous pain, even if they were coming in with primary reports of low back pain or hip pain. So... Um, I would say adding in prov provocative hip testing and then making sure that you have a really good subjective evaluation, maybe even a body chart, who knows. <laughs> I, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say the biggest part of my subjective that helps drive my objective is using that body chart, going through it with the patient, drawing physically on there where I think their pain is, where they're telling me their pain is, what aggravates ease it. It gives you a good idea of you know all of your sins, Maitland-based concepts, and then that gives you a very good nature hypotheses so you can structure your exam and kind of target for each pain what you think could be causing it. The only other thing I, uh, we didn't bring up yet um, as far as special tests go is Lazlitz cluster and if they're reporting pain below the PSIS then it's probably something you want to look at. I mean, it is important to bring up because you know we, we know as controversial as it may be for some people that are fault testing for the SI joint is not great and it's not super reliable from one test to the next even within a specific tester so those provocative SI joint tests you know the sacral thrust the gains lens the thigh thrust all those ones that are in the Laslet CPR making sure that we use those to rule out SIJ if that's a hypothesis in your differential diagnosis and just remember that they're only really valid if they're combined Right, at least three, right? Three mm -hmm. out of five positive. Mm -hmm. That's pretty good. And much better sensitivity overall than specificity. So just using it as a cluster to kind of help guide your findings there. The only other thing we haven't hit on is your lovely comparable sign, your asterisk sign. Um, making sure that you find some movement or activity that can be measured that will recreate each of their pains so that you, when you then treat, you can go back and recheck and see if that is effective.
I think that just comes back to just making sure that you know what you're looking for. You know, I think so many times myself going through residency and now seeing current residents and, and other clinicians go through exams, I think when we have we have all this information, all these different clusters and tests and everything else that we could throw the kitchen sink at them. I think sometimes just going into the objective exam with a better idea of what you want to do or at least what you're looking for and then if you find p1 well now you can move on you don't have to go like trying to special test them to death to find p1 because you've already found it immediately with forward bending and now you can start looking at p2 and p3 but i think maybe just making sure that you go into that exam with a strong understanding of all of their pain profiles i think that's probably the most common complaint or I guess difficulty that I've seen with residents that I've worked with now on the other side is that they have all this information in their exam but they don't know what they're looking for for each specific diagnosis. They don't know what low back pain for mechanical causes versus neural dynamics looks like so they're just kind of guessing everything. On that note, let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about if you have a patient that you think it's mechanical low back pain, what are you taking out of the exam? What are you specifically looking for, really highlighting to test that hypothesis? And then once you've kind of put them in that group, are we just manipping everyone? What do we do with that information? Riley, what do you look for for mechanical low back pain? Um, determining if it's mechanical versus like neurodynamic. Yeah, I guess like a joint, a joint dysfunction versus more neurodynamic. Okay issue. That's a better way to say that. Okay. So a joint dysfunction should be provoked by active range of motion or joint mobility testing. Yeah. Specific movements, recreating their pain every single time, looking at the opening versus closing, kind of combined movements. I'd say the quadrant is usually pretty positive if it's a joint (laughs) dysfunction. Are we always manipping them? I mean, I think obviously you have the Flynn clinical prediction rule to fall back on for a home run candidate, but I would argue that probably many more people than just to fit that CPR need joint-specific treatment, especially if it's a joint-specific issue. Maybe it's not the manipulation on day one, maybe it is. I think you have to read your patient, you know, assessing in that pre-manipulative position for immobilization, maybe seeing how they feel, gauging their response, maybe any fear avoidance or discomfort in the position, their previous experience with physical therapy or chiropractic care or something like that would drive your manipulative decision. But I think that, you know, if it's a joint specific issue, you should have a joint specific treatment, whether it's mobilization, self-mobilization, stretching, something like that. But I wouldn't give you a blank check to grip it and rip it. I think uh, what you hit on there, self-mobilization, is a big area that's underutilized in a home program, especially if you've done a mobilization or manipulation or something that worked really well in clinic, then figure out a way to have them do that at home. It seems so simple, but I think it's often missed as part of a home program. Absolutely. I mean, hell, if you have them, if you do a sideline lumbar rotational manipulation, which I think nine out of ten of us use on a regular basis, having that exact same position and doing the open book with a little bit more lumbar flexion and boom (laughs) better it's amazing (laughs) now you're reinforcing a manual therapy that you already found to be effective and they now have the power to maintain that mobility other than just having you do it for them so um, i think just thinking about your manual therapy is only as good as the exercise you provide to supplement it so absolutely as dr elizabeth lane once said manual therapy is a passive modality sorry brian sorry brian Um, But uh, it's only as good as your ability to give an exercise that follows up. One area that I think 
residents get confused in is that joint dysfunction versus a disc dysfunction and how do you differentiate between the cause on those? Are you guys using mostly repeated movements or is there anything else that really sticks out for you as a positive for a disc versus joint and does it change what you do? I mean, it can, especially if there's, I mean, if there's radicular symptoms associated with a joint pathology or disc pathology that are below the knee, you know, that automatically is something that would probably shy you away from manipulative treatment. But I don't know, you can go back to the straight leg, cross straight leg raise tests for disc pathology. Remember that the first test is the straight leg raise is only sensitive. So if it's positive, it's junk. You got to move on to the cross straight leg raise for a positive assessment of ipsilateral or contralateral excuse me disc pathology but that's a nice way of ruling things in or out you know it's going to depend on symptom profile people have disc pathology with minimal radicular symptom profile and sometimes people have joint pathology with associated radicular symptoms or at least referred symptoms i would ask to that matt like how do you differentiate between if you're doing a straight leg raise test between a disc pathology or just adverse neural tension that's a great question another common area of confusion Mm -hmm. for people so i mean adverse neural dynamics are going to be sensitized or desensitized by increasing tension on the neural structure in question so you have to remember that you know if it's just a disc pathology the straight leg or cross straight leg raise is going to be positive in a vacuum versus if I add tension or sensitize the sciatic nerve, for instance, or the femoral nerve or whatever it is by adding dorsiflexion or plantar flexion and inversion or whatever it may be, or if I uh, desensitize it by plantar flexing, doing the opposite essentially, or having them extend their head, and that somehow affects their symptom profile for better or worse, that's a little bit more consistent with neural dynamics than primary disc pathology. Yeah, I would say following that nerve from start to finish and seeing where it could be trapped. You know, if it's increasing all of your leg pain with a lumbar extension, then it's probably mm-hmm. getting trapped all the way up near the disc or facet, whatever it may be. Whereas if it's after it comes out of the piriformis, maybe it's more from the hip or kind of just following it all the way down that distribution and seeing where yeah. you would need to treat it. So obviously if you are doing some of your hip special tests and it's recreating their pain, their familiar pain, like the fader, the scour, those kinds of things, then you're thinking, oh, it's from the hip, so we should probably treat there. I think the most common missed one is your glute med or min referral pain that physicians often will diagnose as lumbar radiculopathy that is truly just a referral pain from muscle. But is there anything else you guys are looking for on exam that you're missed that you think people are missing a lot of? Or Well, I mean, there's a lot of research out there that shows concurrent hip and low back uh, joint pathology. Like if you look at some people who have like chronic hip pain, they actually have their, that same x-ray actually shows, you know, lumbar facet issues and vice versa. People with primary low back pain tend to have hip issues on the ipsilateral side. So, you know, concurrent hip and low back issues are very common. Also, those regions are incredibly interdependent because they have a common origin, which is the pelvis. So things that you do to the hip affect the back, both from their active activity perspective and also from your treatment perspective. So you can put an intervention through the hip, and often there's going to be not only just a regional effect, but an actual physical effect on the low back as well because they have so many common origins. So it's certainly something to uh, consider. I think standardizing at least some amount of hip assessment in your low back pain patients is good because a lot of times you actually find revocative, if that's a word, um, (laughs) findings within an exam. So often, you know, like an assessment of like a long axis traction pole just to see, you know, capsule tightness. Sometimes they'll 
have people say, oh, it makes my back pain way better. Well, bam, you just got a treatment during your hip exam. So it certainly, I think it's worth at least the 35 seconds that it takes to do three or four quick joint assessments during every low back pain patient to see if there's any kind of regional effect. I think just generally for patients, you know, you are absolutely right. There's a lot of low back pain and hip pathology that all kind of go together. So going back to what is your your specific pain, pain one, two, three, and then in your exam, finding things that hurt one, two, and three, and then targeting your manual therapy to those specific interventions. It seems so simple, but I think we get so lost in the information you gain from an exam, and then you're like, what am I going to do manually? Well, why didn't you just do it when you found it? You know, do a quick hip distraction, manip, when they said that relieved their pain one, and then reassess, and then kind of move down the line. The only category we haven't really hit on so far is your stabilization category, which to me is, as we've talked about previously in our podcast, not really a a section in and of itself. It's kind of a progression of all low back pain patients. Is that more of those chronic patients, those ones that just have trouble moving and have very little motor control? I don't really think there's a lot of good special tests for that. It's just kind of a clinical picture of your patient. You guys can correct me if you have anything else that you find, but... I'd say it's if someone obviously first, especially if they have high severity and irritability level of symptoms, you're trying to calm down their pain. So that's why you have them in traction, mobility, or directional preference category. And then as soon as you have that under control, you go to stabilization. Chronic pain patients, a lot of times you're not going to get anywhere with those pain control methods. So you just maybe go straight into stabilization with them. Absolutely. That is the only other, that's another category we haven't really hit on is those just chronic pain sense, general central sensitivity in patients, which can be kind of a bear. I was talking to Elizabeth Lane on Friday, actually doing some fellowship hours. And she was saying that that pain that they just can't reproduce no matter what you do, but it's really hurts. It's nine, 10 out of 10. And they're just super irritable that that'll guide you towards that central sensitization category and just getting them moving as much as can doing a lot of pain science and education on what is pain and how to work your way through it. So that was a really good experience for me talking to her. I mean, I really think, I don't know, there is, I mean, and you guys all know, there is like a SNM cluster situation for uh, the stabilization category and Julie Fritz's treatment-based classification system for whatever it's worth. I mean, I think you can think of stability as two things. I mean, there is, there are like the loosey-goosey, hypermobile, can't control their body people that that waltz in who do need stabilization as a specific subset of treatment um, but i think you know what we're kind of talking about here is that it's a progression for it should be a progression to a progression for everyone right Absolutely. Um, there just may be a subset of people especially your chronic pain people where you skip the stuff before it and go straight mm-hmm. to it but there's certainly i think i you can look at stabilization as two groups of people uh, a group of people who just truly are like gumby and need to be stabilized and then there's a group the other group of people is just your is is everybody else where they you did something first and now you've moved on to stabilization and i think that's especially in the the new research and the new propositions for treatment based classification and even the old stuff from delito showed that as a progression you're moving towards stabilization motor control things like that so wrapping us all up here what do you guys have some big picture takeaways in a low back pain patient number one that we've all talked about is finding very differentiated pain one two and three and then targeting your therapy to that are there any magical pearls of wisdom you want to give us i think just knowing that your exam doesn't have to be insane with a million things in it 
just know what you're looking like do a good subjective history know the two one two three four five whatever many it is know what you're looking for before you ever have them start moving and as you find them check that off and move on to the next thing don't overwhelm yourself with the four thousand things you can do in a low back assessment just say they they are here for three different things i'm going to check these off along the way and then i'm going to try to provide a specific intervention for each one of those things that i did check off and and knowing that it can come from the hip sometimes and it can be soft tissue sometimes will help you when you feel like your traditional range of motion assessment didn't quite get it uh, or maybe it didn't um, access all the different pain profiles. I would say just going back to regional interdependence between the lumbar spine and the hip, I would argue that it's it's the same biomechanical impairments, the, the same motor control deficits. They're almost identical, the ones that cause lumbar dysfunction and the ones that cause dysfunction and so of course you're gonna look at both and in your exam you want to know what's what's the actual root of their symptoms but you know and maybe it's just an incidental finding maybe they're coming to see you for lower back pain but after you examine their hip you find out well they actually also have some mild hip impingement going on on both sides I find that a lot so knowing what symptoms are there but then always treating both of them together because they work together that's probably the number one thing I like tell my patients when we find some hip pathology that's recreating some of their pain I say I, I don't know if it was your back pain or your hip pain first I don't really care I'm going to treat both because they can both be impacting this and let's see how we do working on those since it has reproduced your specific complaints I think we can tail it around to the idea too that including the hip and including even the thoracic spine and even sometimes just general lower extremity strengthening and conditioning you know when you get a patient yes maybe they maybe they come with pain in the low back, but often low back pain has made them deconditioned and has had them stop doing normal things that they've done, including recreational exercise or hobbies or things like that. And so, you know, one thing we always ask people about is our goals. Remember that, yes, your first mode of treatment is calming down pain, and maybe your second mode of treatment is strengthening the specific area, but including the hip is not just this like you know, wacky idea. We like to, we, we want our patients to have general strengthening and general conditioning at near the end of therapy to the point where they're getting back to what they want to do. So uh, starting it earlier in the process, understanding that the regions are interdependent and at least including some amount of exercise, stretching, manual therapy to the full global region, and then more importantly, the whole body after that, I think is, um, is something that makes sense and it, it is going to only serve to help our patients in the long run. Awesome. I hope this was helpful for everyone. gives you a good idea what to do with that low back pain patient when they come into your clinic on Monday morning because they will come into your clinic on Monday morning. Um, <laughs> as always, if you guys have any questions, comments, want to yell at us, uh, hit us up at SirCastKC on Twitter and we would be happy to hear from you. Until next time. Until next time. See you guys.